Today we're going to be in the last part of chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. 57 through 80 this morning, looking at the backside of Zechariah's story. Um, and we're going to learn from him the blessing of belief. So as Chris said earlier, Christmas is like only a week away. I don't know if y'all know that, but just, you know, public service announcement this morning. Uh, if you've got some shopping to do, this is the time. But I was thinking this week about shopping. We are thinking about toys for the kids and things like that. And, you know, like today, our kids' toys are so much fancier than our toys were. Right? Like, like they're high-tech and they're high-cost and they're all the things. But it got me reminiscing about some of our childhood toys back when we were kids, the more simpler toys like the classic Slinky. You guys remember the cl- I'm talking about that, like the cheap plastic ones, and like the real metal ones that like cut your finger off, you know, like the, and like you just go up and down the stairs and up and down the stairs with the slinky, or um, the Simon Says game uh, with the four color buttons, right, and you have to like get all the combinations, like the red and blue, green, yellow, and just blow your mind with all these things, and then, um, and then I came across the Trolls, you guys remember, like, not, 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 they got the Trolls movies today, Back then, we had the original troll dolls, right? Like, and they were everywhere. Like, they were, on, they were on your backpack, and they were on your desk, and on your dashboard, and on your, like, everywhere. Trolls, just, they, were, they were, like, this big. But then we were talking to our staff meeting this week, and we started talking about the poppets. This is, like, a 90s kid thing. Like, I don't know if you guys remember these. Like, they were, like, a, like they were a quarter, but you could spend, like, a half an hour with this thing. And, like, you just set it up, and it just pop up in the air, and you try to grab it, and then fall again, and you do the whole thing. Well, as I was thinking through it, the one that really applied for what I was thinking about for this week was the Magic Grow-A-Bot. I don't know if anybody else had these or if you remember these. Like, all right, mine was a robot. They had, like, wrestlers, and they had dinosaurs and all these things. But you would, you would get this, and, um, and they, you would take it, and you would drop it, like, in, a, in like a bowl or, like, a sink of water. And then it would just magically grow to 200 times its size. So it started like, like, seriously, it started like a quarter, you put it in the water overnight, and the next day it was like bigger than your hand. And all of a sudden you had like this giant rubber robot to play with. Nobody else, I guess I was the only one that had one of these. Nobody else is looking at me like, what are you talking about? But it would just grow and grow and grow. And so all you had to do was soak it in water, okay? So I started thinking about that, and I was like, you know, our, our belief, our faith can grow like that as well. It can grow exponentially as we walk with the Lord. But it does require that we add something to it for it to grow. And that's what we're going to learn from Zechariah this morning, that obedience-soaked belief grows a testimony of blessing. Obedience-soaked belief grows a testimony of blessing. So let's go ahead and look at our text this morning. I'm going to start in verse 57, chapter 1 of Luke says, now the time for Elizabeth to give birth, I'm sorry, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. The first thing we see in the story this morning is that when belief is tested, obey the Lord. When belief is tested, 
obey the Lord. So it says that the time finally came for Elizabeth to bear a son. So finally, after all this time, Gabriel's prophecy is coming true. Right? Like the thing he told Zechariah in the temple is finally happening. John is here. Everyone's rejoicing. The neighbors are coming. The relatives are coming. Just like, the, just like Gabriel said, right? Many will rejoice over this child, not just you and Zechariah. So all of it's coming true. And so Zechariah's over here thinking, all right, awesome, great. John's here. Now I get my voice back, right? No. Actually not. Zechariah is still mute after the birth of his son. The next sentence says, on the eighth day. Meaning we're now a week past the birth of John, and Zechariah is still mute. And I just have to be thinking, like, if I was Zechariah at that point, I'd be like, all right, what's up, God? <laughs> like, like, what's up? You said nine months, you said once it was fulfilled, I get my voice back, like, John's here, let's go. Where, where, where are we at? Still nothing. But it says, on the eighth day they came to circumcise and to name him, which was kind of the normal Jewish custom of that day. On the eighth day they would do those things, and... Um, since this is very likely going to be Zechariah's only son, right? Because remember, he's old and his wife is advanced in years. So, so they're probably not having any more kids. So like this is the last one and, and his only son. And it's a miraculous birth at that. And so the people, the friends, they, they wanted to call him Zechariah after his father. Makes sense, right? Like to honor this miraculous son. It would have been tempting for Zechariah. Like this is my only son. I'm, I'm old. Like this, I am his father, after all, everyone's on board with it. Like, that sounds pretty good. Let's, let's go with Zechariah. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Elizabeth will hear nothing of it, right? Because evidently somewhere along the way, Zechariah has relayed to her the message of the angel that he was to be named John, and Elizabeth intends to obey that. But the people object against her, and they're like, no, 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 nobody in your family's called John. Like, why would you do that? Like, that's, that's not normal. We always use family names around here. That's the tradition. Why are you trying to, to buck tradition here? And they think that maybe she's even going rogue and, like, taking advantage of Zachariah's condition and, like, coming up with her own name here. And so they make signs to Zachariah, to the father, because he has the authority on this final decision and it's interesting here, this is kind of a little side note, it says that they made signs to him, meaning that they had to like motion to him so he would understand, which seems to indicate that he wasn't only mute, but he was also deaf during this time. And the Greek word there can mean both, right? It's generally translated mute, but it can be, so he might have actually been mute and deaf for these nine months. So they're signing to him, like, hey, what do you want your son to be called? And so he takes a tablet and he writes, his name is John. I love that language, right? Zechariah is very emphatic. He's like, this is, like, what are you talking about? This isn't a conversation. God already said his name is John, so his name is John. This has already been decided. And we see something really remarkable here in Zechariah, right? He obeyed God's word despite not yet receiving God's blessing. God was not doing what he wanted. He was not, God was not doing what Zechariah expected. John was here. I still don't have a voice. Like, this isn't the way it was supposed to play out. 
He's still mute. He's still evidently deaf. It would have been really easy for him to get mad at God, right? Be like, God, like you said this and you're not doing it, so now I'm going to do what I want to do and protest what God had told him to do in naming his son, but he didn't. He obeyed the Lord even in the midst of that. Because that wasn't the point, right? His obedience was not dependent on his feelings or his circumstances or what he expected from the Lord. He believed God's word. At least, how he did. He got there, right? He believed God's word no matter what, and so he was going to obey it despite his lack of understanding. When belief is tested, we must obey the Lord. I've mentioned before in recent last year or so that our, you know I've noticed our girls our girls are getting older. It feels like time is getting shorter with them, and so I've been looking for ways to to spend more time with them, to invest in them more, to to build that relationship. And so this past winter, I started coaching the girls' basketball team at their school, right? And so it's kind of like just a nice synergy moment. I, I I get a chance to help the school. I get a chance to invest in our daughters. I get a chance to do something that I enjoy. So it all kind of just comes together. But it's a, it's a new team for the school. Like they haven't had a girls basketball team in a while. And so most of these girls have never played before. They don't really have an experience. And so the, the first couple weeks of practices, like, we were just, we were just running. Right? Like, I'm like, we got to build up some endurance here. We got to get you ready. Like, and, and they're like, this is horrible. We hate running. What are you, why are we doing this? And I'm like, trust me, you're going to need, you can't play basketball if you can't keep up, if you can't run. You got to have this. But they hated it, man. They probably hated me for making them do it. And then we get to the first game, right? And they're playing in the first, and we actually, I was really proud of them. They did really well for their first game. We actually kept neck and neck with the, with the other team for the first half. And then we got to the second half, and we started falling behind because they were out of gas, right? They couldn't keep that high-level play up anymore. They just couldn't stay with it. And so I took that opportunity after the game to have a little conversation, be like, now do you see why we have to run so much, why you need to build up your endurance, and so now we still keep running, and they don't complain quite as much because uh, they understand what it is. But before, they didn't understand, and so they, they just wanted to argue and complain about it. And I think sometimes we fall into that same trap with the Lord. We don't understand his plan. We don't understand what he's doing. We don't understand what's... And so we just want to argue. We want to complain. We want to put our two cents in there instead of just trusting the Lord and obeying what he's told us to do. Even when we don't understand it, even when we don't like it, even when it doesn't make any sense to us. God's saying, just trust my word. It's best for you. Zechariah got that. We see that. Zechariah, he got that. But do we? Do I obey God's word even when I don't understand his ways? Ask yourself, do I obey God's word even when I don't understand his ways? That's a true test of belief. So Zechariah does, he obeys, he names him John. 
And then look at the next verse. Look at verse 64. It says, And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. So the first thing he does is he blesses God with his newfound speech again. And it seems like that blessing is recorded in the verses from 67 on. So let's go ahead and jump down there for a second. Look at verse 67. It says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Second point this morning is when obedience is rewarded, bless the Lord. When obedience is rewarded, bless the Lord. It says that as soon as he obeyed, his mouth was opened, he was able to speak again, right? Zechariah's obedience was rewarded with what God had promised. And he did this by, he further fulfilled the prophecy, right, by naming him John. And so that proved his belief in God. And so God says, all right, here you go. And gave him his speech back. And as soon as he could speak, the very first thing, it says that he blessed the Lord. The very first words out of his mouth after nine months of silence were not to his wife. They weren't about his newborn miraculous son. They weren't about himself. He blessed the Lord. Because you see, instead of being resentful for the discipline that he had received from the Lord, he was grateful for the restoration he received from the Lord. He was grateful for the mercy of God on his life. It's, again, it seems the very first words of this blessing are recorded there in verses 67 through 79. And it starts off just with that simple phrase, blessed be the Lord. The song here in this section of scripture is oftentimes called the Benedictus which again, just like Mary's song, is named after the first word in the Latin translation of this song. It's very similar uh, in, in many ways to Mary's song that we looked at last week. And the entire song is all about blessing the Lord. That's what he does in this entire section. He goes into another series of he has statements like we talked about last week, right? He's using that prophetic, perfect uh, voice where he's talking about what God is going to do in the future as if he has already done it. Because it's that certain that it will happen. And he says, he has visited and redeemed his people through the horn of salvation that he raised up from the house of David. All of that is very a strong messianic language. right? Like he's, he's clearly pointing us to God's great gift of the Messiah who is coming in Jesus Christ. In fact, that's actually the focus of the whole song. It's so interesting. Zechariah doesn't focus on his own new son. He focuses on God's son in his song of blessing. And how does Zechariah know that all of this is true 
about the Messiah. He tells us right here, it's just as he, God, spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. He's referencing the Old Testament prophecies, but I just have to believe that like, as a priest, as soon as he found out his son was going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, and now he can't speak for nine months, like, he for sure went back and used that whole nine months to just like study the prophecies of the Messiah again. Right? Like, he's just like deep in it for nine months, learning all the great things that the Messiah is going to do and how his son's going to be a part of it. And he studied all these things, and he knows them to be true. And now he's going to joyfully proclaim them as he blesses the Lord with his first words after nine months. So he proceeds then to tell us what this Messiah is going to do, what the prophecies tell us the Messiah was coming to do. He says, first, he will save us from our enemies. Yes, maybe from some some earthly enemies, but more importantly, from spiritual enemies, from Satan, from sin, from death, that the Messiah will rescue us and save us from our enemies. He will show us mercy, not only to us, but it says to our fathers, which is a really interesting reference there. Christ isn't just coming for those who are going to believe in him after Christ, but he also came for all those who believed in him before Christ. All the Old Testament saints, all the generations of God's people who have been believing that God will save them through some future means of salvation. The Messiah is coming for them too. And then it says he will remember his holy covenant to multiply God's family. He told Abraham, through your offspring, I will bless the entire world. And the Messiah is going to come through Abraham's offspring, just as God had said. But then he says this. This is maybe more applicable for us at the moment. He says, all these things, all these things the Messiah is going to come and do and be, it's all so that we might serve him without fear and holiness, and righteousness. Friends, we have to remember, we have no ability to obey God on our own. In our natural state, in the natural position of our hearts, we have no strength or ability to obey God's word. He is the one who gives us Through his common grace, he's the one who gives us the ability and the mercy and the the strength to obey and to follow all through the power of Jesus. So that in turn, as we obey, like Zechariah, we can get to experience the blessing of obedience. So he gives us the power to obey and then he blesses us when we obey. It's all from him. It's all from him. And it's all for him. And it's his grace for us. It's his mercy towards us, just like Zechariah. Obedience is not only to God. Obedience is from God. And so as we receive the gift of obedience from the Lord, we get to bless his name that he empowers us to do what he's called us to do. I'm so thankful um, for my wife, and I'm extremely blessed in our marriage. But just like all marriages, if I'm being honest this morning, like 
our marriage is not perfect, right? Like, we have to keep working on it every day, just like you do. And so, you know, it's easy for us sometimes to get laxed in our relationships with one another and just kind of like slide into maintenance mode and then eventually things get weak and, and start to suffer in the relationship. And so um, this, this past summer, Courtney and I went away to a, what we call a, a, they call a lead healthy retreat. Just, it's kind of a, a checkup on our marriage to make sure that, hey, are we in a good place? Are we strong? Can we keep moving forward together in, in life and in family and in ministry and just making sure that we're healthy and all of those things? And it was super helpful, but, but one of the things that they, that they encouraged us to do while we were there was just simply to start saying thank you more, right? Like just saying thank you for the, the things that you and your spouse do for one another that have just kind of become routine. They just kind of become expected in the household because like I do these things and she does those things and that's just kind of the way we do it, right? And so they're like, you know, like when you cook meals or when you take out the trash or, you know, doing the dishes or mowing the lawn or clean the bathrooms, or like all the things, right? Like, just say thank you to them for those things, right? In our house, we both have a list of chores that we kind of do and take responsibility for. And we can start to take each other for granted that we're, while we're actually serving one another and serving our household, right? So it's just simply like, hey, thank you for cooking dinner. That was really good tonight. Thank you for taking time to sit down and pay the bills and take care of all those things that we have to, to do, right? Thank you for, for dealing with all the girl things with our daughters that I don't understand and don't want to understand, and please, thank you for doing that. All right? Just all, this, the, all the little things that we do. Because, you see, despite how easily we come to expect those things of our spouse— we don't actually deserve those things from our spouse, right? We're not owed those things. And so being thankful for the gift that they give to us in that service is important. Likewise, God is constantly giving us gifts, so many more than we ever even think of. There's so many things in our life that we think we deserve or that we are owed or that we have earned in some way, that they're completely dependent on us, when in reality, everything that we have is a gift from the Lord. It's all part of his mercy and his grace to us. Having a warm house on a cold winter night. It's grace. Getting to go play basketball with my friends on a weekly basis. That's, that's grace. Having a church that loves and encourages one another and builds us each other up. That's, that's God's grace to us. That we get to experience that. We get to live in that. Getting to enjoy a nice big meal with my family around the dinner table on Christmas. Like, that's grace. Even just living in a country whose standard of living far exceeds most of the world. It's grace. Even this morning, having breath in our lungs to bless the Lord. 
His grace. Friends, we have all received far more from the Lord than we deserve. But has he received all the blessing from us that he deserves? Certainly not. So even in simple things like obedience, when we obey, we get to then be blessed in order to, in turn, bless the Lord. It's all for him. It's all for him. So how do I regularly bless the Lord for his mercy and grace in my life? What's the pattern? What's the habit? How do I regularly bless the Lord for his mercy and grace in my life? with my actions, with my attitudes, with my mouth? Am I blessing the Lord? Zechariah blessed the Lord for receiving his speech back. But then he keeps going. We only got halfway through his song, so let's look at the second half. Look at verse 76. He kind of turns a, turns a, a corner here. He says, And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Last point this morning, number three. When blessing is witnessed, testify to the Lord. When blessing is witnessed, testify to the Lord. So he, again, he kind of turns a corner here in 76. He says, you child. Now he's talking about John, right? He shifts from talking about God's son to talking about his own son. From the Messiah to the forerunner. And he's now testifying of God's prophecy about John to everyone else. Because at this point, nobody else knows it yet, right? He got it, and then he couldn't speak after that. So maybe he kind of like somehow related it to Elizabeth. But other than that, nobody knows. So now after nine months of waiting, he finally gets to tell everybody else and testify to the awesome work that God is going to do through his son. And he says, you will be the prophet of the Most High. And he will go before the Lord and prepare the way for the Messiah. He will point to one who is greater than himself. Then he also says he will give knowledge of salvation to the people. And he will call them to the forgiveness of their sins. He will call them to to repent. And we're going to see later on in in Luke, that's John's entire ministry. Like the dude literally had one sermon. He just preached over and over again. Like, repent. And he calls people to turn back to the Lord, to turn back, not to himself, but to Jesus, to the Messiah. And then it says, he will do all these things because of three things. First, God's mercy. Mercy is a theme all throughout this section. I don't know if you've seen that repeated word over and over again. God's mercy, instead of giving us the wrath that we deserve for our sin, for our rebellion. 
Instead, God gave us his son to be born as a baby in a manger and ultimately to go on to live a perfect, sinless life and to go to the cross and take our sin, to take our punishment, to take our death upon himself. John's birth is leading to that, to the display of God's mercy through his own son. He says, also because of God's light. I love the, the, the imagery he uses here. He says, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Friends, Jesus is the sunrise. Let's not get any mistake here, right? Like Jesus is the sunrise who is coming from on high to earth to give us light as we sit in the darkness of our sin. To show us the way out. He tells us in, in the Gospels that he is the light of the world. That's what Zechariah is talking about here. The Messiah is coming, and in his light, he will also, it says, give us peace. God's perfect peace. Peace with the God of the universe that only comes through the forgiveness of sin by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That peace is mediated by Christ as we believe in him. And that perfect peace comes to us not only in this life, but throughout all of eternity as we get to live with him forever if we believe. This isn't for everyone. This isn't for the whole world. It is for those who believe. And that's what we need. And Zechariah knew it. Check this. In his very last line, he says that he will guide our feet in the way of peace. Zechariah includes himself. Because Zechariah knew that he needed salvation just like all of us need salvation. Right? None of us are exempt from this. Every single person needs Jesus to save us from our sins. This is the testimony of every story in the Bible. It all points back to him. The Savior of the world, the Messiah, has come. Like a light shining in the darkness. If we'll believe. So this is Zechariah's testimony as he comes back into his speech. But we skipped a couple verses earlier, and we don't do that around here, right? So let's go back and tag those real quick. Look at the impact of Zechariah's testimony. Go back to verse 65. It says, And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Because of Zechariah's testimony about Jesus and, and the need for salvation, it says fear came on all who heard. And that they laid these things up in their hearts. Now, the word fear there is interesting. It can mean fear like we normally think about fear, like scared. It can also mean awe or reverence. And what you see here is that everyone who hears the message of Jesus and their need to repent of their sin and be saved is going to experience one of these two responses. 
every single person. Either they will feel fear, feel fear of the wrath of God that's coming on them for their sin because they know that they're guilty and they're too prideful to repent and believe. And so they will respond in fear or they will stand in awe of a God who is willing to give mercy and grace to the sinner who doesn't deserve it. And they will repent and believe and be saved. Every single person who hears the gospel has to come to one of those two responses. And it all depends on how you lay up God's truth in your heart. How do you take it? How will you respond to the truth of who Jesus is? Look at how the people respond. It says they talked through all the land and they said, what will this child be? I'm sure some believed and probably some didn't. But they all recognized the power of God. That the Lord was doing something here, that there was something different. The Lord was working and he was pointing them to Jesus through the work of John the Baptist, even through his birth. And this, friends, is the power of testimony. That all of us who believe, all of us who know the truth about Jesus, must testify of the blessing of God in our lives. So that others can see the light and come to it as well. And so ask yourself lastly this morning, who can I testify to of God's greatest blessing? We're in the home stretch. Last week, leading up to Christmas Eve. Who needs to hear the testimony of Jesus from you? Who needs to hear what he can do for them as he has done for you? Who do I need to share my belief of Christ with so that they can experience the blessing of salvation that that has been given to me? Zechariah told everyone, said they all heard, right, the testimony of what God had done. Obedience-soaked belief grows a testimony of blessing. Just like my little grow bot when I was eight, your belief will only grow if you soak it in the water of obedience. You have to obey what the Lord has said. That's what belief looks like. We have to trust God's word and obey no matter what we experience, no matter what we think, no matter what we disagree with. As we obey, just like Zechariah, he will bless us and we will have a powerful testimony to help others come to see who Jesus is. For us as believers, this is the, this is the process. Believe, obey, testify. That's what we do. And as we do it, others will get to see that the light of the world has come. Let's tell everyone.
tell everyone the blessing of our Savior. Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, your grace, your grace to us is astounding. Lord, it covers every inch of our lives. Everything we have is a gift from you. Far more than we deserve. And ours is a testimony of belief. Belief in your perfect son and in the only savior, the light of the world who has come to us. Lord, only he can save us and only he is worthy of our praise and our blessing this morning. And so today, Lord, we bless your name. We bless your name today and we sing hallelujah to our heavenly king who has come, the light of the world. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your grace. I pray all this in Christ's name.